Yay, sound check. Um, it just sounds sync for me. Right. Uh, oh, who's slating? So yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because for my for my Xbox and my PS4, I'm just Jackson the comic, and uh-huh. since I have a very unique name. I didn't have to add any numbers to it. That's, it's literally isn't that a great just, feeling when you don't have to do that, when you know you're the only one? Yeah, like, if you Google my name, I come up. I am the most famous Jackson McBrayer. Yes! Like, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good feeling. Um, There's only a couple other Alex Rudises, but I figure I'll eventually just sort of, like, go and do them in so I can right. get my own name back. Oh, you could just surpass them, like, with your art, and then you're the most famous one, and that's good enough. You know, I kind of thought I had that, and then I realized that one of them is actually a, a, some sort of East Coast lawyer who makes enough money that he's able to race cars, and so I figured I was kind of like maybe out of my league a little bit there. So I see. <sighs> Welcome to Jumping with Jackson. I'm Jackson. Today we did not go skydiving. We went and did a float, which is where you go into a sensory deprivation tank, and it's a lot of fun. My guest today, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Alex Rudis. And... Tell us about yourself. Well, I just spent about an hour floating in a tank in a room adjacent to Jackson. <laughs> so, and uh, prior to that, uh, I was uh, teaching adults who were on the um, Asperger's uh, spectrum uh, how to get and hold jobs in technology. I do that four days a week. And uh, mm. because I'm a bicycle fanatic and uh, had the opportunity to do it, I spend rest of my spare time working in a bike shop where I get to fiddle around bikes and uh, I come to this from spending a long time basically working with weird technology usually in entertainment settings everything from doing things like setting up video projectors for large auditoriums full of people to uh, performing in front of video projections uh, in front of rooms of people what kind of performance do you do uh, it depends on uh, the situation, uh, although in general, uh, I've focused in an area which makes it seem as if what I do is I'm a musician. Uh, my background's actually more in just general theater. And so uh, uh, I was in college, actually, to become a serious composer, and then I got thrown out. And um, when I moved into the realm of uh, away from academic composition and uh, toward doing more like what you might call popular uh, music, uh, you know, obviously I found myself working in bands, but uh, it was always, if, if you look at the bands, you'd see that there were performance groups which happened to have the component of actually performing music. So a lot of times, uh, depending upon the act, sometimes we'd actually be speaking lines on stage. Um, at a really extreme level, I used to do things like big art gallery installations where what we were doing was creating replacement environments inside art galleries. But the reason we were doing it was specifically so we could justify doing a couple of performances at the opening. Oh, I see. Makes so sense. it was a way to get props into a space and then kind of control the space and turn it into something else. Gotcha. So you were able to teach people how to do something and then also do it yourself by creating a space for yourself to do it. Wow, that's a really interesting comment. Um, no, the teaching is actually something separate that I do, which actually pays me some of my rent money. Um, but in galleries, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to say that probably part of the justification for it was the notion that I could show strangers something they wouldn't normally see that might ideally give them a little bit more insight into what they do on a regular basis and how they interact with the world. Very a lot cool. Of, a lot of what I did involved uh, 
things like visual tricks, and in some cases, sound tricks. Um, things like... Uh, okay, let's go into the sound and the visual tricks, because we just did the sensory depth. And yeah. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on your first time doing that, uh, especially for people who've never done it before. You know, let people know what it's like, what you got out of it, that kind of thing. Okay, I won't be silly about this, although I'm really tempted to. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> I, am, I am a comic at heart, so you can always go joking if you want. But yeah. I'd probably wind up saying a bunch of really crazy stuff about that movie we were discussing, Altered States. And I would make claims to separations from reality, but I would be lying through my teeth. Um, what... <laughs> What I actually did is I went into the into the tank. I'd actually this is something I'd been um, interested in doing, but it always kind of dismissed it. And uh, when Owen made mention of doing this a couple of weeks back, uh, in conjunction with trying to get me to jump out of a plane again, like he does from time to time, because we would like to throw you out an airplane. I mean, this is our this is the alter the other thing we do in cases of people who are like, no, I don't want to go skydiving. I can't go sky for one reason or another. This is our backup plan. Yeah, I figured that. So you know, so actually, I could look at this as a way to sort of butter me up for actually getting me to jump out of a plane at some point in the this future. This is the, yeah, this is my mindset. We should probably talk about that for a second, because I don't know if I've explained that very well to Owen. Um, it's not that I'm afraid to jump out of a plane. It's just that if I imagine myself flying through the air, I imagine myself not drifting down to earth, even with nominal control on a parachute. I imagine myself in a wingsuit, or I imagine Flying myself actually, style. Uh, yeah, like that, that stuff that you see, the, the really dangerous YouTube videos. Yeah. Of. And uh, I actually do things like I look at the YouTube videos of guys with GoPros strapped on the backs of their heads, and I kind of imagine like roaring along at about 150 miles an hour, like right by a cliff face. Well, so that's you a, could, that you can aspire to that, but you have to start somewhere. So the, the, the training is, wheels is to do it tandem. Like that's, that's what a tandem jump is. You're doing it. Just you're seems, very safe. That's lame. You got to start somewhere, man. I well, mean, start by giving me a wingsuit and dump me out of the damn plane someplace. Because <laughs> we want you like, to survive. Like that's part of our goal is repeat business. We don't want to kill our guests. What makes you think I wouldn't survive? Wingsuiting is uh, the expert. Hey, level I'm pretty of capable. Okay. But have you ever been skydiving before? No, of course not. So maybe you should try it first well, before you I tell me how that? capable you are of it. Like, just say it. But. <laughs> How do you know how capable I am? I don't. I'm just saying maybe you should try it first so before you tell me how capable so you are. So you're going to go up with an airplane and jump out of the airplane. Right. And it's going to be like, oh, great. Here I am floating down to earth. Maybe I'll break my legs or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I Maybe I hit terminal <laughs> velocity, but probably not. I've got some dude strapped on my back, for God's sake. Well, you will hit terminal velocity. That will happen. This I can just, guarantee that. This just doesn't sound like my idea of fun. I, I want to pilot my own experience. I like that you think skydiving isn't extreme enough for you. That's why you haven't done it. To me, that's that's I like great. That he wants to go from zero to ten. Yeah, it's like no ramp up. Yeah. I, 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 well, you're I've not always a, loved airplanes. As a right. kid, I, I, I know the I studied aeronautics. And, there's rigmarole within skydiving. So they won't let you do the squirrel suit until you get your AFF. To get your AFF, you're going to have you to know, do the regular skydiving. Okay, and this is exactly why I started building my own hang glider when I was a kid. It's like, you know, there's plenty of people around. They're going to tell you how to do things. And you got to do it this way. Well, you might die. Well, okay, what about the first guy that did this stuff, you know? Right. Did he die? Like, uh, like did chairlift. she die? It might even been... Uh, it, it, 
Chairlifts. Like when you go skiing, like the yeah. chairlift seems like such an absurd invention, but they're like, oh yeah, let's just put a lawn chair on a rope and, and drag people up a mountain so they can go skiing down them on tiny pieces of wood. Like, well, yeah, that's I, a cur- you I know. used to do that, yeah. Yeah, me too. I am monoskied growing up. It's great fun. Yes. Uh, so like, yeah, you have the adventure spirit. I'm just saying you would like skydiving. Like, I like that you think it won't be extreme enough and you won't enjoy it. Like, they would that's, take my that's money. Bullshit. They would take my money and then I'd wind up in this like round robin thing. And I'm sure it would be great. You know, I'm not saying it would be bad. I mean, I've got enough friends who do this and they've been, you know, trying to mention to it. So I, I it's not that I disagree with it. You know, okay. I, I think it's great that you guys like jumping out of planes. It's just that I, I, I kind of envision myself doing it a little bit different. That's all. Yeah. You want to do a more extreme Maybe version. Maybe after I've done a few more of these flotation tank things, right. I had a chance to think about it some more. So you can meditate on... Okay. So next time we do a float, you can meditate on skydiving. It'll be a nice little circular thing where it like brings you back. I might. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what... Uh, going back to the the floating, yes. what, uh, what was your favorite part of the float? Did you have any sort of like... Uh, size dilation because that that i've heard that happens where like your your head feels small and then your body feels huge or you get this feeling of like you're moving at speed even though you're just floating in the water i had a little bit of that where i actually felt like i was like swaying back and forth but i wasn't because i would check with my fingers and i was still in the middle of the tank but i would get this feeling that i was like bobbing and weaving through space it was very it was a really unique feeling did you have anything like that you probably also notice that even if you just wiggle your fingers a little bit, you can actually kind of pick up the sensation if you let yourself get still, too. That, that was one of the things I noted. Um, you know, I talked to Owen briefly about this, and, uh, you know, I did have the experience of... Uh, counterclockwise, uh, the, rotating this direction. And uh, then I did actually have a couple of sensations of displacement where I felt that I was moving laterally a bit. I didn't get continuous movement. Um, and, uh, I, I enjoyed the fact that, um, unlike what I usually try to do to meditate, you know, it's kind of nice not having any actual contact points. One of the other things I noticed is that even once everything had totally stilled, um, first off, I was able to actually note or was imagining, uh, weight on my back, even though I knew that I wasn't, didn't have any weight and that I was technically, I was fully suspended. I could feel almost like contact on my back. Interesting. And, um, the other thing was, um, there was, there was another element to this that was kind of interesting in passing. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any massive, like, uh, lucid dreaming event or anything like that. Oh, yeah. I did think about vanquishing my enemies, though, so that, that worked pretty well. So what, what was that like? Like, go, go into more detail about that. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had... I mean, you could a, also, uh, like, not say their names if, if you don't want to say them, but... No. Yeah, yeah, but I'm pretty sure they'd recognize who they are. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's like, you know, last uh, month or so, actually longer than that, probably six months, have been pretty stressful for me, and I've been, uh, you know, pretty much answering other people's call a lot. And it was kind of nice to suddenly be in a position where literally my job was just not to respond to anything for a while. Uh, so it was my time. And then, of course, at times like that, you know, your thoughts drift to, well, the people that have wronged you at different times. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, you have to kind of like think your way. Th- one has to think one's way through and uh, hopefully get rid of any negative emotions. 
Were you successful in uh, relieving your negative emotions? Well, that's a good question, seeing as I'm actually talking about them right now. So that would indicate that no, I, I was not. By the same token, though, I do feel like I'm a little bit more in touch with my negative emotions. And um, the thing I really enjoyed about all this is I still don't really care too much. That's good. Yes, I feel a little bit more detached to where the stuff that uh, I felt like I couldn't really get away from about an hour or two ago, that just doesn't matter that much to me anymore. Yeah, I was going through a lot of anxiety this week because I have a big show tomorrow and I have some other things that I've been kind of stressing out about. And my big takeaway from today's float was just kind of the acceptance of like, I am where I am. And right now I feel like I am in the middle of nothing. And because you have no touch points, like you said, it's like, oh, I am I am in nothingness and that centering. But whenever I want to reach out, I can touch the wall. I can reconnect with the world if I want to, but it's my choice. I can remain in the nothingness or I can reach my arm out and touch the side of this vessel that I'm in. Uh, And it was actually a really centering and peaceful thing that gave me some tranquility that I needed. I fell asleep. <laughs> that's that's right. Owen. Fair enough. Okay. As I told you, you're you're still asleep, Owen. You're still. We're just brains in jars, man. We're still asleep. <laughs> you know, somehow you just gave me a really terrible idea, which I think is also brilliant. Um, I have that effect on people. And, uh, I'll share it with you and our audience. So. We were just in this place with how many pods were in there? Do you think ten uh-huh. pods, maybe? Eight, ten. Yeah, somewhere around there. Ten pods. So, one thing I could potentially do, or you, seeing as how you're a performer too, right? Um, is I could just simply announce a show, but I could announce a show at an undisclosed location. And what is it? The discount is like uh, fifty bucks, something like that, to do yeah. it the first time. Yeah. So it's going to be an expensive show compared to the ones I normally do. It'd be fifty bucks a piece. <laughs> And uh, you see where I'm going with this. Mm. I just make sure I book up my entire show, book that entire place, and just take everybody there. And we all go into our pods for an hour and come back out. And then do the show. No, that is the show. Oh, okay, okay, I see. I was actually going to take it a step farther. No, actually, let me take that back. It's not quite the show. The conclusion of the show is where I'm bought dinner by somebody in the audience. Oh, there you go, okay. I would take it a step. I would go in a different direction where we all do the float, and then afterwards, the performers perform. But like you're in this very like peaceful, tranquil space, which I think would have an interesting effect on the show itself. If they certainly wouldn't get what they normally get out of me, that's for sure. Right? Like there's there's a showmanship to being on stage that like after you do a float, you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm cool. All right, Alex. Alex has been doing these live music performances with silent films. Oh, yeah. So oh, what cool. if you live DJ? <laughs> what, what if I live DJ? The tank experience. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I didn't exactly broach the subject, but I did make, I, they, they start off, they play ambient music, and then at the close of it, they play ambient music. And so I asked, like, how do you generate your playlist? And she didn't know. It's just, it was just some ambient music we play. I was like, well, I'm a practitioner. <laughs> that didn't really impress her very much. But, yeah, I did think about that possibility, too. Uh, of course, I realized, too, that although I make claim to this kind of music 
I really don't do that kind of music. Uh, the stuff I do is actually sort of designed to kind of like just be kind of like there's something I need to be paying attention to here kind of a thing. So, and you used to make music for video games, right? Oh, yeah. I got like, paid my rent for a while doing that. So, I mean, like I grew up with a Sega Genesis. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. A so, fine console. Yeah. So, um, and that's one of the, the consoles you made music for, right? Yeah. Um, uh, actually, I worked directly for Sega yeah. and I was um, uh, part of a team of people who were working with the machine before it was released in the United States. And part of our job was to figure out the Japanese development tools well enough so that Americans could make games with them. Nice. Okay. Um, what what games, what were the big games you worked on for the Genesis? Oh, geez. Let's see. I think I did the, the first, first time they did a Scooby-Doo game. Uh, I did that. Uh, I worked on actually the, the two sets of audio tools that they um, then laid out for for other developers and then i did some support for other people's games so i don't even know what the titles were in some cases oh gotcha uh i did things like uh uh sound effects and implementation for 688 attack sub and i think i worked on m1 battle tank and uh i didn't work on anything like uh i didn't work on any of the sonic games or anything like that sure uh but it was this weird kind of uh uh third party thing i wound up doing so for example uh Todd's Adventures in Slime World, which was originally an Atari title, but the developer managed to take it back and get a license to do it on Sega Genesis. And uh, Did you work on that game on Atari as well? Um, actually, no. That was one of the games that um, someone else did the implementation on. I, I knew about its development uh, when it was being worked on. I knew about the game and actually was uh, uh, had pre-release copies that I, I, I played, but uh, no, I did uh, to do the sound design on the Genesis was just sort of an unexpected thing. It just sort of came up. Oh. Uh, a lot of this, you know, it was like, I was just, I was paying rent, uh, you know, yeah. I was busy heading on to something else. And so um, it wasn't quite the scene that it is nowadays. Um, right. So I enjoyed doing it and it was really interesting, challenging work. I still occasionally do it, but uh, it's a different world now. And there's sure. a different uh, uh, set of people who are doing it. Uh, what about, yeah. What about yeah. So, game experience. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I uh, I've been a gamer my whole life because I really like being able to run and jump, and video games let me do that. Right. Um. So I mean, like I'm I'm currently playing, you know, some old style games and some newer modern stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so I play things like you know Destiny Two, but also like Towerfall. Okay. And Towerfall has a 16-bit style and 16-bit style music. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. Do you have any experience with the programming of music on the more modern consoles or modern games that you're still doing the retro style with? Or like, is that something you're... Well, that's a really interesting question. Something I don't think anybody's ever actually asked me. Um, yeah, I got hired by Leapfrog Industries in 1999, 2000. Uh, they decided that they were going to do a little handheld game machine. Up to that point, they were known for doing these uh, little electronic books and a globe uh, that it was the globe was designed so you move the stylus around to different countries and it uh, had sensors in it that would know that you know you're touching Afghanistan. Um, they took that technology and then came up with these uh, storybooks to teach kids various uh, little kids various things. Mm -hmm. And then they decided they were going to do a um, a handheld game machine, uh, which was pretty modern. Uh, but they made the decision that they wanted it to have that kind of retro cachet. Sure. Uh, so we were actually paid pretty good money uh, to sit there with these lab 
level software tools, this thing called Super Collider, where there's no interface at all. I just type scripts into it in state oscillators. And uh, we uh, did a pretty credible emulation of 8-bit sounds using a, uh, a really high-end synthesis system. And what we were doing is we were creating little tiny audio samples that sounded as if they were being played on uh, actual hardware. Because those old right. systems, uh, because it was so expensive for them to do samples back then, they would generally have these very little, very primitive little music-making things that would have oscillators and stuff, but uh, it, they would be really raggedy sounding and be very limited. So anyway, we uh, we took our knowledge of, of how this was done on the old Nintendos, and we just built them a, a bank of system sounds that made this thing sound like it had been built like 15 years before it was actually built. Nice. Okay. And it was interesting, too, because that was, like, like I said, it was around 99. Uh, so it really struck me that we were already doing a, a retro statement for something that wasn't really old enough to be retro yet. And then as if that wasn't enough, our audience was going to be, you know, preschoolers and kids up through maybe third, fourth grade. Yeah. A buddy of mine has a joke where it's a, anything over 20 years old is considered classic rock. <laughs> and by extension, anything 20 years old is classic, whatever the thing. So yeah. we do have, yeah, well, retro is the other word that we use with video games, but classic rock, retro. Uh, so it's just interesting that you can pull up a, a game you find in your attic and <laughs> that's technically, you know, a classic video game. Yeah. You know, that yeah. you might find it a bargain bin and a, you know, a thrift shop. You know? Up until recently, however, now what's happening is that this retro thing has gotten so popular um, that the cards and things are spiking in value. And uh, I uh, now I'm feeling bad about all the old hardware and stuff that I literally threw away. I threw <laughs> stuff away. I threw you could stuff retire. Away. See, if you just had. Yes, I could have retired. <laughs> There's stuff sitting in the landfill right now down in South San Francisco that I could have retired on. I just threw it in the trash. Uh, other stuff I, I gave away. There's a couple of museums around uh, the Bay Area. So let that be a lesson to you out there. You know, just be a pack rat. You yeah. never know what's going to be worth money. Yeah, just you all know? those newspapers. <laughs> just, you know, all of it. You can make neat piles of the newspapers in the hallway. We're and, just going to inspire people to hoard shit now. Like, they're just going to yeah. have. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to be worth something one of these days. So, do you think you're going to uh, do the floating again? That's a really good question. As I was sitting there floating, I was kind of thinking to myself, "Wow, do I want to try this again?" And uh, I mean, because they they've they've got it pretty well set down there, to where it's like, "Well, you know, you're not going to get the full floating experience until you've done it like three or four times, right?" And uh, <laughs> you know, it's not lost on me that uh, we had that kind of stepping up the game experience at the end here, to where right. upsell us on the. Yeah. Would you like to buy the package? Would you like to do? Like, we're both ready and armed to bring in other people, and they'll give us discounts if we bring you in to float yeah. adjacent to us right. in the next room. You're helping me by not, coming and having the experience. Yeah, yeah. Not in my pod. I'm giving away my bigger game. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to do with this? <laughs> We're working on Skydives, I get free skydives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, if you do 10 skydiving, let's get it. Yeah. yeah this, this might actually be worth a show in its own right. Like, you know, how we, 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 we have to figure out, like, how to actually web these things together so that we don't have to have traditional jobs anymore. That's the goal, is to be able to make art that actually pays you enough money 
so that you just make art. I understand that if you're popular in social media, that that helps a great deal. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. If you do things like uh, blogs or uh, old humorous videos that people might watch. Yeah, maybe on YouTube, for example. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's what all the kids are doing these days. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Tyler, did you have anything to ask? I was, was going to ask about how you ended up with it was Konami in Japan, right? I wasn't done with video games. But I oh, my God. How did I wind up working for Konami? Well, they hired somebody who knew me, and uh, they had some terrible problems in one of their development studios, and they needed to bring somebody in to document what was going on because they thought that they were going to have to shut it down. And so I came in in my suit and uh, kind of took a deep breath and uh, I went in and uh, instead I discovered over the next couple of weeks that they actually had a fair amount of um, good stuff going on. And I saw that there were some gaps in the way they were managing it um, that, uh, that I felt that with a few changes that they might not have to shut the studio down. So. I, I gave them that report and expected to just be given my check and leave. And uh, they looked at my report and said, well, great, uh, Alex, son, uh, how soon will we be able to begin implementing these changes? And um, I thought about it for a bit and I was like, well, don't give it a shot. And, uh, you know, I, I hung in there as long as I could, but it was pretty intense. And uh to be really open and honest about this, I um, I did get to the point to where I was taking enough emotional hits doing it, and I was feeling so distanced from the actual production of the creative product uh, that I actually started getting chest pains. And when I had to go to a drop-in clinic because I literally thought I was having a heart attack one day because of some contract dispute or something, uh, I realized I probably needed to make a change. And so um, I had a couple of pretty intense... Uh, discussions with a couple of people and uh, I wound up going on my way and leaving the company. <laughs> now that makes me wonder, like, do you still play a lot of video games? No. Um, I, I will, if I'm working on a game, uh, I pick up the skills really fast so that I can actually test through things. Right. And look for um, problems. Yeah. And then I uh, will while I'm working on games, both to do things like assess my own work and uh, also for something to do sometimes because as something's compiling, you know, maybe you've got like a, a build which actually functions on the platform. You can do that for five or ten minutes while the, the thing renders or, itself. Yeah. Uh, but um, for the most part, no. As a matter of fact, I uh, – I, uh, um, I even have tried to kind of set things up specifically so that I would um, make it convenient to play games. And uh, what I really find myself more interested in these days is, is just the actual uh, construction of stuff. So going back to the teaching thing, uh, we spend about a month um, basically doing kind of a, a coding boot camp, like this is how to code kind of stuff, not, not with the intent of turning them out as programmers, but just here's the experiences you'll have. And uh, for the third week, we actually show them how to work with what are called Arduinos. And uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, they're a little hardware platform that uh, you use uh, C++ to talk to. And uh, there's a pretty evolved uh, ecosystem out there for support, lots of examples and things. Um, you basically write the code on your laptop and then USB drop it onto the thing and it has a bunch of 
input-output things that you can... Yeah. Uh, the devices are nominally designed both to be hobbyist and educational devices, but primarily to be microcontrollers. So this would be something that you would drop on your robotic arm to control the servos. Okay. Uh, but I've got mine rigged up with a little screen on it. I've got a version of Breakout that I cobbled together from about three different sources, except my version of Breakout as the paddle moves around, I actually can change the size of my paddle and, uh, I've set up so my do you colors. know anyone who could build me an Iron Man suit? <laughs> do you want to be able to fly? No, I mean, just walk around, you know? It's like, I know they exist. It's just one of those things that I've been jokingly like looking at. It's like, wait, that might be better than a wheelchair. It might be worse, but it's worth looking into. Like... Just put on put on some leg braces and then like they dude, walk for you. you dude, know? the stuff, uh, the carbon fiber augmented legs are already available in Japan. Oh, I, yeah, um, I, I know the technology exists. It's just so cost prohibitive at this point. Yeah. I'll have to wait for it to drop down in cost before it becomes a viable option. But it I, is interesting. To me. Once again, I think this is why we really need to explore this social media angle. All you really need is enough followers and then just announce, <laughs> hey, man, this dude needs an Iron Man suit. Let's make it happen. And, uh, you know, it, you never can tell. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, probably in, you know, 20, 30 years, that'll be like, oh, yeah, they're cheap. You can just get one. 20, 30 years. Try two or three years. I'm not that optimistic. Like with the with the the cost of things and over time. Just gonna get the insurance company to pay for it. Look, man, I live in a city where the cars drive themselves around and grown-ups are riding skateboards and scooters (laughs) around, okay? And they don't even own the things, you know? Uh, We're inches away from talking pets augmented with Google DeepMind. Wait, I've seen that episode of Rick and Morty. That could be very dangerous. Right, and you still persist in thinking that this is fiction. It's already happening. I think your Iron Man suit is just one contact away on social media. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so you were. But it you, might not be a very good Iron Man suit, but you know, it, you ste- cross the bridge a, a when you come to stone. it, or yeah. fly across it. If the yeah. case may be. Yeah. If we find a, a cheap alternative for propulsion, we could have a. Flying. That's probably coming too. Yeah, maybe. All this stuff. I mean, it really. You know, I kid, and yet I don't kid, and that's what makes you frightened because you know I'm not kidding. It's like which part? Yeah. What? What is plausible? Um, so you were saying we haven't talked about genetic modification yet. That's happening just over the hill in Dog Patch. Right. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Cyberpunk. I'm is, not involved in that. It's one of the one of the interesting things is like cyberpunk was too accurate. A couple got of friends too, of mine too many are things right. In that. Yeah. Um, Ever wanted a pink Siamese cat? Not really, but you know, whatever floats your boat. Like, you know, if you want one, get one. I can hook you up with a guy that can do it. <laughs> Why? He's Why? not around. He's not allowed around the lab anymore. Uh, but, uh, did you hear about the glow in the dark rats? That because they glow in the dark, they couldn't sleep. No, like that's a good. Their one. own bioluminescence kept them up, and they went Whoa. crazy. Yeah, it was. It was a thing. I heard about the rats. I didn't hear about them going crazy. Well, because like you, you need sleep to regulate your mind, and so like the 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 light that their bodies produced kept them awake. They couldn't sleep. But if they had little tiny VR goggles, <laughs> just just little eye masks on little, it, you know, little mouse eye masks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, okay. a small engineering challenge. It's not big. Why don't you just engineer them to be blind? 
you know, Mind glowing you, you glow in the dark, but you can't see that you glow. Yeah, that's probably the low hanging fruit in this. The blind glowing rats. Uh, <laughs> Three blind mice. They glow in the dark. That's the part they didn't know because they were blind. And, and that's a product. In a world like this, you could package that, get on social media with it, and sell a bunch of them. Well, the video's funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What is fun? As a matter of fact, I was reading that in the floating book that they had in the lobby. It's like, what is fun? Did the book float? Oh, no. It's about floating. It's our thoughts float, though. Yeah. Our thoughts about the book and floating in general. Uh. You asked me if I was going to do this again. Oh, right. Yeah, that's... I, we, I probably will do this again, actually. Fair enough. See? I, did, I kind of enjoyed the experience of sort of zoning out. One thing I wasn't prepared for is how slimy I was. Because I'm covered with, like, Epsom salts and right. water. Yeah. I, it took me a while to shower off the salt. Like, Yeah, I kept catching, like, slime bits on me and stuff. But, you know, once you get past the slime, it isn't really that bad. I did like that they had the spray bottle because I did get a little salt in my eye. I was going to ask so I just like that. sprayed myself in the face and then I was like, okay, I feel better. I used the foam. They have a foam ring you can put around your neck so you don't get your head far back in the water. And so I that worked for me. I started with that, but then at a certain point I took it away so I could have more immersion, uh, which I felt did slightly change the experience. But yeah. That's interesting because I, I found myself at a point someplace around maybe a half hour in where it occurred to me that I should remove my flotation thing. But then I realized I didn't want to disturb the water because I'd gotten to this point to where I could yeah, definitely yeah, tell. You reached the equilibrium. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Your skin was dry where it was exposed and wet where it wasn't. And yeah. Right, yeah. And uh, so and I'd already had the experience of wiggling my fingers. and like, ah, oh, this is wiggling the water. This won't do. I have to be more still. And that, as long yeah. as I'm ranting about this, and the other thing I notice is that I'm kind of racked up from various sports injuries I've had in the past, uh, other ill-advised flying experiments and things. And um, uh, but um, I had an opportunity to kind of sort of feel my back injury, which was kind of interesting. I felt it in a way that I normally don't feel it, and then I also noted um, uh, certain sorts of unconscious stress stuff that normally in the past it's like if I went to a massage therapist they would kind of deal with like I, I caught my shoulders trying to kind of go up into that mode yeah and then I, I found myself actually it was really difficult to get the kind of extension that I thought was appropriate so I then, actually did this while I was in the tank. Oh, you did? To just completely change my body position. That's the surrender position, isn't it? That's, that's what it said in the floating book I read. Oh. That's what I did. I, I was normally like this, but then I, I went full pencil is what I thought of. Because when you're like learning to jump into pools, they teach you the different, you know, jump. So like jump like a pencil, make as small a splash as you can. Ah. But, uh, yeah. you know, I it, it was interesting, except for the fact that like it got the, the water displaced differently. And so it kind of took me out of the experience a little bit, but it also was nice because it stretched out my, what is this? The shoulder, shoulder blade muscles where you're just like, well, I'm very tight because wheelchair. So, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. It really, it really is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to kind of not, and this is so obvious. This is what they tell you anyway. There are no distractions. So it is an opportunity to kind of get in tune with your own body a little bit more. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, it, um, God, you're making me think of something else that was happening. Um, selfishness, I guess. Uh, you know, that uh, this kind of goes back to uh, my decision not to, not to assume the surrender pose. Of course, I have 
as I mentioned to you, I was mostly thinking about vanquishing my enemies. So the last thing I was going to do is surrender. Uh, but um, it, um, it, it was another thing that occurred to me is that there was a certain sort of, uh, I guess I would call it movement selfishness that relates to that uh, leaving the experience. Movement selfishness. Explain that to the people watching because I think like I kind of want you to clarify for yourself and for other people. That although I was allowing myself to go somewhat free, um, I did note that at times I would note, say, the shoulder tension and that I would actually have to go through the decision process of deciding whether or not I wanted to try to force it to relax or not. And uh, several times, actually, I found myself, because there's time dilation, too. It felt like I was there for a lot longer than I really was. Yeah, de um, I definitely had that as well. Uh, but in general, uh, especially as I got about halfway through the process, I became more of the mind that uh, I, I just didn't care to move, uh, that I would note certain, certain sensations in my body, but uh, it was more important to me not to move. So I would note things and then just kind of move on from them. Yeah, when I moved one time, I splashed up onto something where I had like a small nick on my neck. Ooh. Uh, and so I was like, should I get out and rinse it off and then put the neo, the, because they have the stuff you can smear on any cuts. Yes. Uh, but I was like, but that would take longer. So I just sort of had to accept the stinging pain. And eventually, you know, your body ignores it eventually. But for a while, it's literally the only thing you can focus on. Oh, yeah. And so it was this... Uh, it was an experience of like acceptance of like, oh yeah, this hurts and it just is going to until it stops. Did you have uh, any creaking? Like uh, did your, your tub actually do any like kind of like settling sounds at all? Like a, an occasional click or something like that? I didn't notice anything like that. Um, let's see. Is there – That's one oh. thing that happened with me is that uh, mine uh, – it wasn't really – it wasn't anything you would normally notice. But um, – there were a couple of times I could hear something settle, like just sort of a kind of thing happening with the, the tank itself. And my initial thought would actually be kind of one of intrusion, like, what the hell? You know, what's, what's, what's this noise doing coming into my flotation experience? <laughs> You're invading my meditating space. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I actually think I'm going to grab some food. So I think this is a good place to sort of wrap up. Is there anything you want to promote, let people know about? Awesome. What? You're screaming. <laughs> Jeez, I guess. Well, I don't know. I mean, how, who's going to... Yeah, no, almost no, this will, it doesn't matter. So if if anybody cool sees thing. this, it'll be, you know, you know what you missed in the past, <laughs> back before you knew about this and endured this long thing. Back in the past, I actually accompanied a couple of silent films in October. I accompanied the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Nice. So I did the classic German expressionist crazy camera angles thing. And then I also did a, uh, I think it's a Swedish film called Haxen. Uh, which is pre-code um, and is a lot more abstract. And it's kind of like a weird combination of a vision of hell combined with how people in mental institutions were treated in the late uh, 19th century. Wow. Uh, yeah, that sounds disturbing. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it, actually. Me too. Cool. And when I do these things, I actually use the most obscure instrument I possibly can. Uh, sometimes I perform without any traditional interface whatsoever. Although to do these things so I can move fast, I actually have a keyboard plugged in. But uh, the keyboard is just sending data to the synthesizer. So sometimes I'm just using the keyboard to 
control how fast a rhythm is happening or something. Interesting. Well, dang, that tickles my film nerd. So I'm like that. Yeah, that's, that's a come, Jackson. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I should probably uh, tell you where it's happening. Yeah, like let us know. In the that, past. Oh, when you is, it, is it. it going to happen again? Like It was really good seeing both you and Owen and Tandy at the both gigs, by the way. And I really, uh, <laughs> Time is a man-made construct. Sure. And, <laughs> and I'm really glad that I did such an exemplary job on both shows. I had no idea that I was going to do as well as I did. It sure is a pity you guys didn't know. Well, now that I know to travel back in time and see it, I will. You yeah, know, I, like, Orson's Belly. Um uh, the owner and his wife named their cafe after Orson Welles' stomach, and it's called Orson's Belly. It's on Balboa in between 18th and 19th. Okay. And they usually serve food when I do my thing, too, so you won't starve. Starve. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, well, yeah, next time you do, are you going to be doing that show again soon? Or? It's funny you ask that. Um, what they've done is they've, uh, for the foreseeable future, I've agreed to do this once a month. And it's usually early evenings. Sorry, uh, Tandy's freaking out. Let's. You're fine. I just we didn't wrap up. Okay. I can't. She needs to go. All right. Yes. Well, the dog is restless, so I think we're gonna end it there. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank uh, you very much for having me. It was fun to be in a room with Jason too. Yes. Uh, this is Jumping with Jackson. Uh, do something cerebral or that scares you. Either way, you'll get a great experience out of it. I'm Jackson. Thanks for tuning in.